Well, let me pray for us. Father God, we praise you for how marvelous and how wonderful your love for us in Christ is. And we praise you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to us of this love of Christ. We ask, Father, that he would speak to us now as we open up your word in the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're on Facebook, you might have seen Andy post a song this week. If you're friends with Andy, that is. I don't know if Andy has many friends. Um, sorry. <laughs> Let's start again. If you're on Facebook and you, you've seen Andy post a song, um, he posted a song by Arcade Fire called Everything Now. And it's a really good song. If you've not heard the song, I encourage you to go after the service and, and look it up on YouTube, even if you're not friends with Andy on Facebook. Go and look up that song and have a listen, because it's really good, right? And what I like about it is that it just captures the spirit of our culture so well, right? The guy sings about, I want everything now, everything now. I need, I'm not going to sing it, that would be really bad. Everything now, I need it, I want it, I can't live without it, I want everything now. He talks about how your, your head gets filled up with all the stuff that you've read, your dreams get filled up with all the stuff that you've seen, every song that you've heard is playing all the time. It's absurd. It's a really good song. He's saying you can have any, anything you want now. Any song, you can have it now. Any news article, now. Any video, now. Anything delivered to your house, you can have it the same day. You can press a button and someone will bring you food and you don't even have to get your wallet out. You can have everything now. That's what our culture is like. That's what the song is like. And in the song, it, it, you see it doesn't really work. It starts out with these nice strings in the background and it feels, oh, very full of hope and everything's great and I can have everything now and it's brilliant. But then as the song goes on, it starts to get a bit discordant and suddenly start to feel a bit uneasy about having everything now until at the end in the music video, the, the chap, the singer, is standing there singing about having everything now. I want everything now. And everything's just burning around them. It's, it's, not, it's not good at all. That's what our culture is like. It's also what we've been seeing in Corinth as we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians last week. They wanted everything now. They wanted the most glorious life now. They, they thought that life could be the best that it would be now. And so that means, meant that they wanted the best gifts. They wanted to be the most impressive. They valued the strongest, the fastest, the best dad, like Andy was talking about earlier. They wanted the best of everything. And for them, that looked like wanting the, the gift of speaking in tongues. They thought that was the most impressive thing that you could do to show your spirituality. Now, the gift of speaking in tongues is speaking in other languages. But they thought that in the church, this was the thing that would make them look like they had arrived. I've got the gift. I'm in the inner circle. I'm very impressive and spiritual. That's, that's what they thought. They wanted everything now. But actually, this isn't just an issue for, for culture or for, for Corinth. It's an issue for us. We want everything now. I want everything now. How much stuff do you have in your house that you don't use? 
could be fitness equipment. I've got dumbbells and, and kettlebells and all that kind of stuff. It could be cookbooks that just sit on the shelf gathering dust. It could be musical instruments that you had every intention of learning and now just sort of sit in the cupboard. It's everything that we get, we want to, to make us better, to give us the most glorious life now. Or how much are you connected to your phone? How much do you want to know everything now? How much do you want to know about all of your friends on Facebook? You want everything now. And the lie is that having everything now provides the ultimate satisfaction. That your life now can be great and glorious and fulfilled if you just make payments of $9.99 a month and buy this thing. Well, Paul has some gospel medicine for us to take this morning. For the Corinthians uh, to take primarily, but for us to take as well. He's going to correct us in how we approach um, gifts, how we approach church, and even how we approach um, life in general. Because what I want you to see from this, from this passage, and you'll see this on your little um, buff handout. I didn't know buff was a colour. I thought that was just like things, a word people used to describe me. Um, on your buff handout, you'll see, I want you to see that we should eagerly desire gifts to build the body, but we should only use them in love because gifts are just a reflection of what is to come. I'm going to be speaking from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 27, so you might be helped um, to have that open. It's on page 1153, um, if you need to look it up again. And look at verse 27 now. It says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is um, a part of it. Everyone is, is part of the body. Everyone who believes in Jesus and has been, given, has been given the Holy Spirit. That's what we saw last week. Everyone belongs in church. Everyone needs um, church. And everyone has been given gifts to serve the church. That's what the, the preceding passage was all about. But now he's going to caveat what he's just said. This is a little caveat at the end of verse, uh, chapter 12. Where he says, actually, some gifts are more useful than others um, in building the church, in, pro- in edifying the church. Look at verse 28. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Did you notice what came first and second and third in the list? It's the only time Paul uses those, those terms, first, second, third, to grade um, gifts. It's the teaching gifts which are, are most useful, which are primary for edifying the church. He's given apostles. He's given prophets. He's given um, teachers. It's the gifts which involve speaking the word of God to people, which are primary um, for building the church. And then there are the others in the list, which are also useful and also good. Paul's not making a comment on whether these are are good or not good. He's just saying these are also gifts. And they're also good and necessary um, for building. But they're not primary, like the teaching gifts. And did you notice where where tongues came in the list? It came, came last. Again, he's saying to them, look, you've got this one in the wrong place. Yes, it's a good gift from God, but it's just in the wrong place. 
Now, there's some debate over what prophecy is, but my reading of it is that it's, it's the personal application of God's word in, in the lives of others. So as you speak to someone and you think, oh, this scripture would be appropriate for them, and you, you say that to them, then that, that's, you're prophesying to them, you're speaking God's word um, to them. And then teaching is, is setting out what God says um, in the Bible. And not everyone has these gifts. Look at verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all um, interpret? Well, the obvious answer to each of those questions is no, isn't it? No, they don't. No, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, and so on. No, not everyone has um, the same gifts. But what if you want to have the gifts which are the most useful, which are the primary gifts? What if you want those? Is that okay? Is it okay to want to to be better at at speaking God's word to people? Well, look at verse 31. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. No, not everyone has the gift, but you should um, eagerly desire these. It's okay to want these. In fact, it's possible for you to to acquire these and to grow in these um, gifts. In church, there, there tends to be a lot of mystical thinking about spiritual gifts. As in, one day I don't have this gift, and then, zap, the next day I've got the gift. I can now teach the Bible, right? A lot of mystical thinking. And let me give you an example of how this might work. I hope it doesn't sound boastful to say that I have the gift of of preaching, right? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, come on, Ross, get to the end. No, you're not. Um, But let me tell you about when I first started preaching, right? It was in a church called... uh, the, the United Parish of Dungiven and Boviva, which I hadn't heard of either until I went there, in, uh, out in the country somewhere in Northern Ireland. And I was preaching on the Great Commission. And I turned up and uh, they got into the pulpit and I was there, you know, it was above every congregation full of people. And uh, they, I started speaking. I spoke for 10 minutes on the word therefore. <laughs> and I, I spoke for a further 10 minutes on the word go. And then by the time I got to the end, of the, the sermon, I forgot that the thing you do at the end of a sermon is pray. And so I just said, thank you, and walked off. <laughs> you've got to be rubbish before you get good at something, right? You've got, to be, you've got to be bad and then learn and improve at something. You don't just become a Christian and then all of a sudden you can preach sermons. All of a sudden you can... Do, uh, you can make, do miracles and do all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, you can do these things. You've got to learn how to, to have these gifts. It's not a mystical thing. It's possible to learn the, the most useful gifts. So why not pray to God and ask for them? Have you asked God, Lord, if it pleases you, would, would you give me the gift of, of teaching the Bible to others? Would you help me to, to be as useful as I can be in the church um, to, to get people ready for Jesus. It could be, it could be preaching. You might aspire to, to be a preacher. Or it could be teaching the Bible to children downstairs. Not everyone uh, starts off good at that. I did not start off um, good at that, as we've already seen. It could be leading a small group Bible study. It could be reading the Bible one-to-one with, with other people. You can learn how to do these things. When I started reading the Bible one-to-one with people, I was terrified. 
and I prepared a whole big double-sided sheet of questions that we had to work our way through. You've got to be bad before you get good. So pray for God's help and put some effort into to getting these gifts as well. It's okay to, to read books and to learn and to take courses to do these things. It's okay to, to want these gifts. Now you might be thinking, well, Ross, are you not just replacing tongues as the gift, the marker of, 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 spiritual, of spirituality with um, prophecy and teaching? Are we not just doing a, a bit of a swap and saying, that's not the most important one, these ones, these gifts are the most important ones? Well, yeah, you'd be right. I would be doing that if I were commending to you the same motive as the Corinthians had. You see, they wanted the gift of tongues Selfishly, they wanted it so they could be the truly spiritual ones. But Paul goes on to say that actually gifts should only be used out of a genuine love um, for others. Otherwise, they are nothing. Look again at verse 31. But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. It's a really unfortunate break in the middle of that verse, isn't it? Paul's going to show the Corinthians how to use gifts. He's going to show them the most excellent way. And you can practically feel the Corinthians kind of salivating at this prospect, can't you? Saying, oh, come on, Paul, what's this gift going to be? What's this amazing way going to be? This, 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 this thing that's going to make us the most excellent Christians, the most excellent church? Is it going to be gold dust from the fingertips? Is it going to be fireballs from the nostrils? What is it going to be, Paul? Well, they must have been slightly disappointed to find out that actually it's love. It's the way of love. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. You might have everything now, but it's nothing if you don't have love for others. And sadly, this happens too often. It was happening in, in Corinth. It happens even in, in churches like ours. It's possible to desire the greater gifts out of a desire to have everything now. Let me give you an example of, of how this might work. Let's say John Smith walks into St. John's one day. I'm sorry if there's anyone here called John Smith. Um, John Smith joins the congregation and he notices that in St. John's we have a fairly high regard for Bible teaching. Right? We want to get the, the primary gifts in the right place in the church. And so John thinks to himself, ah, I know what I'll do. What will get me on the inner circle here will be if I can teach the Bible. And so he, he asks <clears throat> to join the preaching team and uh, he's preparing um, to preach. But really, John just wants to be seen to be clever. That's why he wants to preach. He wants people to see his, his ability to, to speak and to expound the Bible. He wants people to see how funny he is. He wants people to see how well-connected he is as he name-drops all the, 
the celebrity Christians that he knows that he's met in his time. So when he stands up to preach, well, it's all about him. All the stories are about him. It's far too theologically dense, so, so much so that no one can really understand um, what he's talking about. He refers um, often to the original Hebrew in a way that's not helpful for people to understand what the passage is saying, but in a way that just demonstrates his knowledge of it. He spends 10 minutes debating the authorship of the, the passage that he's speaking on, and he's talking about a psalm, so he talks about um, whether what a miktam might be, and who even knows what that is. So he makes himself look very, very intelligent. He looks like this theological heavyweight, this, this true spirit, spirituality guy. But the sermon does nothing to help the church get to know Jesus better. And this could be the same for any, any word ministry. It could be um, in kids groups where you just want the affirmation of a group of children who really like you. It could be in, in the music group, which is a, a word ministry, where you just want to demonstrate your virtuosity on, the, on a particular instrument, or you want the plaudits of people coming to you after the service and saying, hey, well done, that was great, good playing. It could be in, in pastoral care for others, even in pastoral care for others, because you're the person that, that needs to be needed, the person that wants people to want them, to the person that everyone comes to for help. Or it could be being on committees. It could be having that bit of power for myself. Oh yeah, I'm on X, Y, and Z committee. That makes me a proper Christian. See, without love, all of these, these gifts, all of these things, they're, they're absolutely useless. They're nothing. We're just living for everything now. So if I finished the sermon there, the application would have to be go and love more, wouldn't it? Go and do better. Go out the door and just work up in yourself a bit more, a bit more love for everybody else. And some people might think, yeah, I can do that. I want, that's something I can do. I'm going to go and do something, Ross. That sounds great. I'm going to go and love more. And then you walk out the door and stub your toe and swear at somebody on, in the street. And it, it just doesn't work. So don't leave here today thinking that that's what I want you to do. Thinking I've got to go and just sort of work up this love in myself. The application for us has got to be to look at the love of Christ more before desiring these gifts. Look at verse uh, 4 of chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. At which point in the service, the mother of the groom bursts into tears. But sorry, this passage isn't actually about marriage. Uh, sorry if you had it at your wedding. It's about showing the most excellent way for using gifts in the church. As you read through these things, you realize that actually the, the Corinthians have been the opposite of this. As you read through Corinthians, you see that they, they've been impatient, that they've been unkind, that they've been envious, they've been boastful. 
They've been proud. They've been rude. They have been self-seeking. They've been easily angered. They have kept records of wrongs. They have delighted in evil. And they have rejected the truth. Basically, they've been like me. And they've been like you. In wanting everything now, we have been everything that Christ died for. That's what we heard in our opening verse. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. That Christ died for us. Because as we read through that, did you notice that, yes, those, those descriptions can be applied negatively to the Corinthians, but they also perfectly describe Christ. Christ was, was patient and kind with the marginalized and the lost and the oppressed, the ones that nobody else wanted. Christ wasn't too proud to, to wash feet, the lowest job of the low. He wasn't boastful when he drew massive crowds to hear his teaching and his preaching. In fact, he often said things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody went away because they thought this guy's a nut. He kept, he was not rude. And instead of self-seeking, he set aside his rights as the son of God to serve and to suffer and to die. He kept no record of wrongs, but he took our record of wrongs and he nailed it to the cross. This is what love is. This is the love of God that never fails. So if you want to love more, if you're thinking, I've been unloving, I need to love more. Well, remember first how much you have been loved in Christ. And then let that guide your desire for gifts. Christ has loved you so that you can love others. Because gifts are not everything now. In fact, Paul's going to say that that gifts will cease because they're only a reflection of what's to come. Look at verse 8 again. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, some might use these verses to to say that actually all gifts have ceased. There's no more prophecies, no more uh, speaking in tongues, healing. None of these things happen anymore. Actually, I I don't buy that. That's not Paul's point here. The point is that we've been given these gifts now, but they're meant to be used to help others get ready for Christ's coming. That's when the perfect comes. That's when gifts pass away, when they've fulfilled their purpose. It's the real purpose of gifts. It's for building others up in their knowledge and love of Christ. The the gifts are for equipping others to be able to live the Christian life day by day until Christ returns. That's how mature adult Christians think. 
not like children who can't look to the future. See, the story is told about a boy whose family has just moved house. And he was really hungry, he was starving. And you know what kids are like? You know, if you've got kids, you've got nieces or nephews or whatever, they, they just go on and on. I'm so hungry, Mom, I'm so hungry, Dad. I can't, just can't wait. I need you to get me a snack. But she, his, his mom said to him, look, son, we've just arrived at the house. We've got all these boxes. We need to unpack them. And there is popcorn in the boxes, but I need to find it before you can have it. And he's going on and on about this stuff. And eventually he decides, look, I'm going to go and find the, the popcorn myself. So he starts ripping into the boxes until he finds the popcorn. And he's so pleased. And he gleefully starts stuffing his face. He's absolutely loving it. And then his mum comes in with a bowl of popcorn for him and finds him shoveling polystyrene packing peanuts into his mouth. He couldn't wait. He couldn't get the real thing. And the Corinthians, they're treating these gifts like, like the packing peanuts. They're not waiting for the good stuff that's coming, but they're content to have just the sort of spongy filler, the sort of tasteless rubbish. So Paul says we need to put these childish ways of thinking behind us and look forward to what's coming. Because gifts are good. They're good for the church, but their purpose is to get us ready for the coming of Christ. Look at verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's our aim as a church, isn't it? To know Jesus better, to know him better, and to make him better known. That's what we want as a church. That's what we use our gifts for as a church. But we're only going to fully know him when he comes. Now, it's like we're we're looking at Jesus in in just a dull, kind of polished piece of metal. It's a bit scuffed and you can kind of of see him, but not really. But then it'll be better than, than HD. It'll be better than 4K HD. We'll see him face to face. To be with Jesus forever. To perfectly experience the love of God in Christ for eternity. So if you're living with the, the everything now mentality and you feel pretty dissatisfied with that, well, all of that dissatisfaction, that you'll be satisfied in Christ when he comes. That feeling of futility you have when you, you chase after gifts or experiences or stuff, that will disappear when you see Christ face to face. For now, look at verse 13. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, now, in the present, we are waiting for Christ. And in the meantime, we've, we've got our faith in Christ. We've got the hope of eternity with God to look forward to. And we have got the love of God. If you're a Christian, you have experienced the love of God. So gifts, are, they're not everything now. In fact, there are nothing without this love. The greatest is love. So I want to finish off with a question for us to consider. It's how are you going to, how will you in love put your gifts to work? 
If you've experienced God's love, how, are you, how is that going to motivate you to go and prepare others to know Christ fully? How are you going to put those to work? How are you going to grow in your gifts? How are you going to get better? Are you going to spend time in prayer? Are you going to spend time studying? You could take a course. You could read a book. You could spend time with Andy. What action are you going to take when you walk out the doors today? Or are you going to say, that was a great sermon about love. And then forget about it for the rest of the week. How are you going to contribute to getting others ready for the last day? So God has given us these gifts. He's given them to us to help each other get ready for Christ. How are we going to use them to focus on Christ's coming? Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you've shown your love for us and that Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were your enemies, you made us your family. We thank you that you have given each of us gifts, each of us something to contribute to uh, the building of the church. And we thank you for the gifts that are primary, for the Bible uh, teaching gifts, the teaching and preaching gifts. Lord God, give each of us a right desire for these Motivated by our love for you, please help us to prepare one another to know Jesus face to face. In his name, amen.